hear the most annoying sound in the world? Welcome to Rage Against the Mainstream, your full-spectrum source for all things music, insight, and opinion. My name is Bill, and I'm joined here today with Steve. Yo. Um, if you're listening to this, happy Memorial Day. Today is May 27th, 2019. Freedom. Unfortunately, we're not joined with Connor here today. Prior, uh, prior obligations, and uh, he couldn't be here. Yeah, isn't he sleeping? Uh, maybe. Yeah, definitely sleeping. Oh, dude, I don't know. <laughs> it doesn't matter. Um, so have you encountered anything new this week, Steve? So, um, I obviously mentioned on our last episode, uh, sorry again, we missed that week in between. Obviously we had some obligations ourselves, but, um, I did mention Tool. They played a show in Florida. They played two new songs. I again mentioned them. Uh, the more I listen to them, the more I start to, uh, you know, get more excited about an album and coincidentally actually got this information. Um, I get a lot of my news, just basic news off of Loudwire. Um, they did mention that Tool finally, and it's almost set in stone. I know how Tool is, but they did announce an actual album release date, which is super exciting. Oh, dude, that's going to be sweet. Yeah, and it's funny. The, the release date right now is August 30th of this year. Um, that's exciting. But again, I remember how many times that like Danny Carey, both Adam Jones, as well as even Justin Chancellor would mention, you know, on their own terms, like this is done. The drum tracking's done. Yeah. Waiting on Maynard to do vocals. Maynard's done his vocals. Album's coming out this date, April, whatever. And then Maynard would be like, no, it's not. He's I mean, it was just such a cluster. Do you feel like it could possibly be like they're like toying with people to kind of bring up like to the, bring up the, like the, the hype? hype? Well, the problem is the hype's already there. I mean, you figure it was what, 2006 when 10,000 Days was released. The hype is fucking there there already yeah you know i just i mean but they are uh, hopefully this is it uh, and you're hearing it here again it was off of loudwire itself august 30th right now tool is releasing a new album uh title is still yet to be known that is ten thousand one days yeah with forty thousand days <laughs> um i saw avengers endgame oh yeah just like uh you know a few weeks back i missed uh actually yeah Last week, I saw the Game of Thrones season finale. Holy shit! We're not we're not a spoiler podcast here, but um, if you haven't seen Endgame yet, go see it. Go see it. They also too, I found out. I guess it was like last week. They did actually break the box office record against Avatar. Yeah, they finally broke it. Yeah, like dude, that's crazy. Like I remember the last time I looked at that a few weeks back, it said um they had already grossed like over two billion dollars. Yeah. worldwide. It's really funny. Dude, I saw this meme, though. It was funny because um, Avatar, Endgame, as well as Star Wars are all fighting at the box office to break each other's record sales. Yeah. And then it was like a meme of like, you know, a character with like a bunch of money floating around and it was like Disney. <laughs> they were like, this is the best war possible because <laughs> it's all going to them, dude. That's just funny. I mean, to think about how big of an entity they are. Like, dude, it, alone they made two billion dollars off Endgame. Yep. And I, I mean, I don't know how much it, how much that movie cost to make. Yeah. Per budget. Se, but they had to make at least one and a half billion on that movie. So, not to go on a huge tangent about this, but just to summarize, how'd you feel about it? I loved it. You loved it. Um, I feel like it ended the way it should have. Yeah. Um, 
I feel like there was a couple parts of the movie that were drawn out. Mm-hmm. Like, um, you know, when they go back and stuff. Like, uh, I, I just feel like that was, like, drawn out. It could have been done a lot faster and probably a lot better, but, I mean, it, it added into the part of the story. Yeah, I heard um, they also discussed that point in time where the, apparently the movie was supposed to be four hours. And yeah. they were saying they cut out a lot, obviously, to shorten it down to three. But as you were mentioning, like a couple of the scenes, there were some scenes that needed more to it. Yeah. Like, there was almost like a couple scenes that were rushed just for the storyline. And um, there's a couple scenes that I feel like shouldn't have been there. Yeah. But I'll tell you this. It was just filler. Yeah. And you're you're like me being a huge Marvel fan. Like mm-hmm. my fiance hasn't seen a single fucking movie. It's Becky, weird. you got to get on your game. It's really weird. But I saw this thing where they're compare, like they're apparently releasing a box set of all 22 movies. Really? In one shot. Like oh you can buy God. all one. And I was like, that's perfect for her. I mean, it's basically the, uh, well, I think they dubbed it the Infinity Saga. Yeah. 22 movies. Yep. That's going to be sweet. But it, I'm going to tell you this. Like, again, being a huge Marvel fan, following these movies for so long. All I'm going to say is, and also, like, I mean, it's been several weeks. So, I mean, spoilers aren't a huge deal, but I'm still not going to give any, just yeah. in case for the we're, small we're not few. It for people. Yeah, but that end scene, the like mm-hmm. the last, because there is a battle scene, obviously, but that last huge battle scene, battle if you don't scene. get chills and tear up, and you'll know when the moment comes, mm-hmm. I don't even know if you're fucking human. Yeah. If you have invested quality into this, you know, series, all yeah. these movies, and you don't get some sort of, you know, emotional feedback from that last, you know, b- before the battle actually ensues, you're probably a robot. Probably I, a robot. I'd say so. Yeah, definitely. Dude, it was just, I don't know. It, I'm not going to say it was the best Marvel movie. I'm not going to say it was my favorite. I still think in, uh, Infinity War was better. I think Infinity War was better, It was darker, yes. yeah. Yes. But to end the story, or the story it, it was, arc. Yeah, it was like the right thing to do. Yeah. But yeah, again, going back like Infinity War, I was on the edge of my seat most of the time. Dude. And even when it ended, I was still sitting there like waiting for more. I was like, wait, do, 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 do. Like it can't end like I this. I read that um, Infinity War was originally supposed to end with just the snap. That would have been fucking cool. Like, that was it. You weren't supposed to see nothing else. That's, but you know what's just, funny? Just, you should have went for the head. Just done. Even saying that though, I think when that happened... I was still stuck on it. So even like the remaining 10 minutes of the movie, even the post credit scene, yeah. I was still stuck on that snap, like when that happened. So I think that was like kind of perfect because you get to see them all start to you know, fade I feel away. Like a, I feel like a part of myself disintegrated with the snap too. Yeah, that was like one of the, and there's several movies that gave you that same impact where you're just stuck sitting there. Yep. Even after the credit scene and you're just, uh, what? <laughs> Oh, and for those of you that are going to go see Endgame, if you haven't seen it already, there is no post-credit scene. No. Do not do what I did. I stayed till the very end. The credits are almost as long as the movie. Yes. There is no post-credit scene. So we'll just uh, save you that time. That's the only spoiler we're giving up here. You're welcome. On this day in music history. On this day, uh, music history. All right, 1962. Um, at the Grammy Awards in New York, Andy Williams' Moon River from the movie Breakfast at Tiffany's is named both record and song of the year. And I said, what about <laughs> Breakfast at <laughs> Tiffany's? <laughs> uh, 1964, uh, 11 schoolboys are suspended from a grammar school in Coventry, England for showing up with Mick Jagger hairstyle Mick Jagger, yeah, Mick Jagger style haircuts. Dude, that, that's crazy. That's really funny because you have to understand back in that time, even like when Elvis first came out, like being provocative individuals. Yeah. Like, yeah, dude. Well, it was almost like a non-conforming thing. 
Like you didn't conform, so you're going to be reprimanded for it. Yeah. But if I remember correctly, Mick Jagger didn't have like crazy hair. It's not like he was like, you know, fucking Sid Vicious. I think it was just because they could identify that they were, you know, kind of trying to be like Mick Jagger. Yeah. Mick Jagger was really controversial Mm -hmm. during that time, especially in the 60s. Um, Also, 1977, the Sex Pistols. Uh, the single God Save the Queen is released. It's sold about 150,000 copies in a week despite being night parted on BBC's radio um, and declined by some record stores. Ain't that something? Yeah, I mean, but that's that makes sense. I mean, they were yeah. obviously part of the uh, anarchy movement in especially England. Um, and it's funny because then it spread over here, like with the New York City-based um, you know, punk bands as well as the Ramones, um, you know, even the Clash coming from England as well. But, dude... That song itself, and even the Nevermind the Bollocks album, I mean, obviously, I can understand why it was being banned. I mean, again, that's going back to like things that were controversial back then that today yeah. wouldn't be seen as such. Yeah, exactly. But yeah, They're I mean, pretty ba- team compared yeah, to these standards. Definitely. But yeah, that was definitely an integral part to it's like. Still, 150,000 copies is yeah, pretty good. It's crazy. And also, too, just disclaimer for all those who are huge Sass Pistols fans that don't really know about the history Sid Vicious is only on two recordings on that entire album. Really? Yeah, Glenn Matlock, who was actually the original bassist who they kicked out, which is quoted to say Johnny Rotten said that he washed his feet too much, and that's why they they kicked Glenn Matlock out of the band for that. (laughs) But they actually had him record majority of the songs when they actually did the album because Sid Vicious just couldn't play bass for shit. Yeah. He even, like, worked with fucking Lemmy from Motorhead and just, he sucked, dude. <laughs> he sucked. Sid Vicious was, like, the Nicky Six. He was the icon, dude, but he was, like, the image of punk rock, so yep. I gotta give him credit for that. Exactly. Um, also, 1987, U2's concert in Rome sets off earthquake alarms as a result of noise level. Who cares? Who cares? <laughs> 1994, after a 14-year hiatus, the Eagles reunite for a show in Burbank, California, uh, closing the show with Desperado. They soon launch their Hall, or excuse me, they soon launch their Hell Freezes Over tour, which becomes first tour to charge more than $100 for a substantial number of tickets. Oh, wow. Um, I mean, are you paying $100 to go see the Eagles? No. I mean, I, I wouldn't pay 100 Yeah. Just to have the novelty of saying that I saw, saw them, the Eagles, I'd probably 50. 50 would be my... Because what is it? That Greatest Hits is the number one selling of al- like album of all time. Yeah, exactly. And don't get me wrong. like The Eagles are just hit machines, dude. Mm-hmm. They're just they're a really good band. Yeah, exactly. Uh, but $100 is a little crazy. Yeah, Even yeah 94 too. Yeah. Like, yeah, that's a little... Uh, you know, I don't know. We all have Eddie Vedder to thank for <laughs> you know lower ticket prices. That's thank true. you, Eddie. Foo Fighters, too. Oh, my God. God. Ooh, $120 to go sit on the lawn at the BB&T Center. Yeah, okay. I'm going to sit in the lawn. Yeah, for... I'm not beat. I'll hang out in the ridiculous. parking lot. Yeah, dude. I, I'll just sit in my <laughs> car and listen to the dude. fucking greatest hits. An asshole. 2006, for the first time in their 22-year career, Red Hot Chili Peppers score a number one album in the U.S., the two-disc set, Stadium Arcadium. How did you feel about Stadium Arcadium? I like it. I thought it was cool. Yeah, I like I'm it. I'm not I, a Red Hot Chili Peppers fan, but I did like that album. It's it's weird because they're another band that really progressed over time because I'm a huge fan of Freaky Styley. Yeah. But then, you know, a lot of their other stuff, especially like obviously the ones with the hits on it, um, you know, obviously like Mother's Milk and Blood Sugar, Sex Magic, mm-hmm. great albums. But even like Stadium Arcadium, like 
some good shit on there. Yeah. Even like people hate on Californication because it is like their generic album. Yeah. It's great. It's just good music, dude. You're not going to hear really a lot of bands that sound like the Red Hot Chili Peppers. No, you know what I mean? It's no, the same no, thing no. with like Sublime. They're kind of unique in their style. Yeah. Red Hot Chili Peppers, I've always felt like, I don't know, they weren't like necessarily a rock band. They weren't necessarily like a reggae band. Yeah, it was like funk. Funk band. Like they were like, it, yeah. They were so, everything. They got a good blend. And it worked. Uh, 2017. <laughs> Despacito by uh, Louis Fonzie and Daddy Yankee featuring Justin Bieber. Tasa Hot 100 becoming the first number one on the chart sung mostly in Spanish since the Macarena in 1996. Hey, Macarena. Do you like that song? What, the Macarena or no, Des- Des- Despacito? Despacito? All right. I have this like weird thing with like Spanish music, Hispanic music. Yeah. From working in a tire shop. Oh, with, so you got like a little soft spot. Yeah. Like, like um, I also found out that uh, Louis Fonzie. This guy on the song, yeah, he's like the equivalent to like, um, I don't know, um, Michael Bolton. He's like the Michael Bolton of like for the, Hispanics, yeah, really, yeah. He's like the dude that only chicks like, and like you can't be a dude in like Louis Fonzi. And like I was listening I don't to, really, him. I don't even is that a compliment? I don't know. Like, have you seen Office Space? It's clearly not a compliment in that regard. Well, no, but like you also the thing too, like they also believe that soccer is a man's sport, of course, and basketball is a girl's sport. And up here, it's like it's reversed. Yeah, you know, I mean, uh, I don't want this to become like a debate of cultures, but at the same time, yeah, but I I get what you're meaning. But it's funny with that song. There's. There's a lot of songs that I hear on the radio, especially in certain settings where I'm just sitting there just like watching, you know, music video channels and like songs continuously play, especially this song. I heard this so many fucking oh times. God. I mean, I've even heard the original, like even without like Justin Bieber, it was mm. just Fonzie and uh, Daddy Yankee. And yeah. here's the thing. I'm never going to go out and invest my time to listen to this album. I'm not going to go find this artist, but there are songs like this, for instance, that when I hear it. I'm not going to go quickly to change it off. If it's just on, it's on, and I don't yeah. mind it. You know what I mean? It's, dude, and I'm going to tell you this. It's the same thing with like artists like like Taylor Swift. Mm. First of all, if you catch me wearing like a leprosy shirt by the band Death, there may be a chance that I'm listening to fucking 22 by Taylor Swift. You don't know. You never know, <laughs> man. You know what I mean? Like I got a soft spot for like catchy radio tunes from time to time. Yeah, I mean, it's like we went, it's like we were talking about before. Like if you can hum it back, you know? Yeah. They can't hate job. on it, man. It's good music. That's exactly. what the whole point of the industry is. Music news. Evanescence are aiming to drop a new album in 2020. Hmm. This is our first topic here in music news. Evanescence's front woman, Amy Lee, has come out to discuss the band's forthcoming album and when fans can expect it. The band has discussed spending much of 2019 focusing on new music but never had a specific timeline in place. Hmm. Um, this album will be a follow-up to the band's 2011 self-titled record. I don't think I've heard anything off of that. No, I don't think so either. Yeah. Um, let's see. Uh, Amy Lee spoke to Sirius XM's Grant Radom about new music. She is quoted, This is sort of a creation year for us. We're playing a few festivals and some headlining shows a little bit, but not too heavy. And in the time in between, getting together and starting the writing process for a new album. I mean, I Evanescence is weird 
because they're kind of like I put them in like that Linkin Park category. Yeah. Like there's songs that I've heard by them. I like, you know, the style to an extent, but again, they're not a band that I'm ever, I was never super invested in. No. And we talk about like hybrid theory and like Meteora, like those mm-hmm. albums. I mean, a lot of people enjoy them, but me, just that style of music that. I, I don't know. I never got so into it. But again, if I hear these songs, like I know them and they're good. I mean, but again, they're just, they never just, you know, they don't create a soft thing spot for, for is broken. The yeah. song that, that, that she did with uh, Seether. Yeah. I always thought it was kind of cool. That's the thing. Again, there's the, especially Evanescence. Like Lincoln Park's different because they put out a lot of albums with a lot of good songs on yeah. each album. Evanescence, I mean, unless you're a huge Evanescence fan, I don't think I've ever listened to a single album front to back. No. But then there's like certain songs, like I hear them, like if they mm-hmm. come on the radio, like I'll be screaming, wake me up. You know what I mean? Like while I'm driving <laughs> or something. I mean, when it comes on, it's just like, it's nostalgia. Save me! <laughs> <laughs> John Lennon owned Beatles signed Butcher Cover LP sells for $234,000 at auction. Whoa. Um, a John Lennon owned copy of the Beatles infamous Butcher Cover version of Yesterday and Today Autographed by three members of the Beatles, sold for $234,000 at a Beatles-themed auction this week. That's crazy. Could you imagine if I had all four signatures? Yeah, that, well, that wouldn't even compare price-wise. Uh, the vinyl copy, autographed by Lennon, McCartney, and Ringo. Huh, oh, okay. You get George on there. Yeah. Uh, featuring a back cover sketch drawn by Lennon was the centerpiece of Julian's Auctions, the Beatle in Liverpool auction, which featured over 300 items of Fab Four memorabilia. This was a world record for a Beatles butcher cover and the third highest price paid for a vinyl. Hmm. Um, Darian Julian, the CEO slash president of Julian's auction, said in a statement, the market is still developing, so we anticipate in the next five years to have the same record could bring $500,000 plus. Where does that money go? I, I don't know. I mean, I guess whoever owns it. Yeah, I mean, uh, well, because it it's John talking Lennon about owned, probably yeah. goes to his estate. Is yeah, owner Yoko. Okay. Yeah, uh, yeah. Oh no! <laughs> All right. Um, here's another one. Uh, Justin Timberlake and Missy Elliott receive honorary doctorate degrees from the Jack White one from a couple yeah, weeks ago. Yeah, the uh, humane numbers. Let's see. Justin Timberlake and Missy Elliott were honored with doctorate degrees from the Berkeley College of Music on Saturday. Um, this year's honorary doctorate recipients are being recognized for the achievements and influences in music and for their enduring global impact, the school said in a statement. I don't see how Missy Elliott has done anything that was that groundbreaking and that crazy. Um, but Justin Timberlake with, you know, sync fame and whatnot, and and solo went, success. Well, Missy Elliott, dude, especially in that, like, later 90s, early 2000s, yeah. she was everywhere. Yeah, but what did she do she that was, was groundbreaking, though? I mean, she kind of paved that way for, you know, other, you know, female rappers. I mean, even like after Aaliyah like yeah, died and Lil, stuff. What about Lil' Kim? But that's what I'm saying. Lil' Kim was part of that same scene because Lil' Kim broke yeah. off in the late 90s too after like, you know, Biggie died and kind of she did her own thing. Yeah, but true. then Missy Elliott was like already there as a standalone. Even Missy Elliott came up later on and like with Busta Rhymes, even like in the mid 2000s. Yeah. I mean, yeah. all these different female artists, even with that like rap culture, as opposed to just being like a side piece in a fucking music video, she really set the bar. I mean, yeah, that's true. That's you know? true. Hey, here, we're going to say it again here. Keep listening to us. We can use some honorary doctorates. Yeah. Yeah, I'm on the way for my bachelor's. I take an honorary doctorate so I can be like, I'm Dr. Heim. I have an honorary <laughs> degree in music theory. 
Can you imagine going to a job interview being like, excuse me, it's not Mr. Eastlack, it's Dr. Eastlack? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's Dr. Timberlake now. Dr. Elliot. As we're doing like the whole stepbrothers routine, showing up to be janitors and, you know, tuxedos. You're not a doctor. You're just a curly headed fuck. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Here's another thing we got here. False active shooter reports causes panic and injuries at Miami's Rolling Loud Hip Hop Festival. Hmm. A false active shooter report temporarily caused panic Friday, May 10th at Miami's Rolling Loud Festival. Some festival goers were injured as they quickly fled the hard rock stadium following the false alarm um the rolling loud festival organizers released a statement uh quoted as shortly after 11 p.m on friday night there was a disturbance that led a large group of fans to believe there was an active shooter within the festival grounds the commotion resulted in these fans running out of the venue some of whom were injured and were scared in the process. Security of public authorities immediately sprung to action, established it was a fake false alarm. It was a false alarm, and there was not an active shooter in the festival. Um, soon after the scare, as Hip Hop Festival allowed those fans who fled the grounds to return, and the show proceeded, as planned, with slight delays. Friday's lineup included Migos, Cardi B, YG, Little Yachty, Rick Ross, and more. The guy, um, another person that was on this lineup here is the one that did that song, No Flex Zone. Mm-hmm. You know that song? Yeah. Yeah. And, it, um, it is an unknown who sparked the panic. You know, it's funny. It's like you look you look at that lineup, it's like the same thing with like metal bands. I mean, you have to understand like a lot of the people that these artists bring to their shows. I mean, they say they don't know what ensued or even started the rumor, but I mean, obviously it's not far-fetched when you hear something happen at like a metal show or like a really, you know, a rap concert, especially with a lot of the artists that are involved in the setting are like known to be like that gangster type. And yeah. again, with like metal bands, same thing. Like you go to a metal show, it's like so much brutality, you know, and then well, the, the atmosphere and the adrenaline and then you just get into an argument with somebody and it becomes something way more and you forget why the fuck you're even at the show to begin with. Yeah. Exactly. Well, there's also a thing like with uh, metal concerts and stuff too, like the low frequencies from the music unlock certain parts in your brain that, you know, it just affects people differently. Yeah, I mean, it really sets a tone. I wanted to add too, speaking of metal, uh, there is another bit of news I found also on Lo- uh, Loudwire, same where I found the uh, tool information. Uh, Megadeth, I mentioned them a little while ago. I was a little upset about the idea of them releasing an album, which turned out to be just an anthology. It was called Warheads on Foreheads. Um, but I, get, I, I did find on the same source, Loudwire, it says uh, Megadeth is beginning to uh, do their pre-production uh, for the new album. So, uh, so would this writing... be the most effective weapons in their arsenal now? Yeah, I mean, I guess they're going to add to their arsenal. You know what I mean? <laughs> they brought the AR-15s. Now they're bringing out the uh, the LMGs and everything. The but, warheads. Yeah. Um, and it's funny because I think about, you know, we talked about this prior. We didn't really elaborate on it, the metal genre in general. Like here you have a band you know, coming from the 80s, was real big in the thrash scene, especially with just the controversy of trying to separate from Metallica and how they were as, like, competitive bands. But here they are. They're releasing a 16th album. I mean, it could come out probably end of 2019, even 2020, depending on how some of these albums are written. Um, And it's interesting because when we talk about the metal genre, it is so funny because, I mean... The benefit with Connor not being here, me and you, Bill, are like predominantly like into that metal scene. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I listen to you. Literally, you can lay it on the table. I'm gonna give it to a, give it a listen. I don't judge bands just strictly based on their you know perception. I base it yep. on like what I'm gonna fucking hear. But metal to me, 
and we talk about it being one of the biggest growing genres to listen to, you think about all the subgenres. You think about oh, the yeah. roots of some of these bands, especially like, for instance, a younger person getting into Megadeth on their 16th album who has yet to hear like Peace Cells or Killing Is My Business. And, yeah. You know, even the bands that influenced them and those bands that were influenced like from Venom them. I mean, there's just so... Archie. There's such a spider web of subgenres with the metal oh, yeah. you know, genre itself. It's ridiculous. And yeah, that's kind of what I wanted to talk about. Like I wanted to kind of give a little insight and we'll keep this, you know, obviously we will talk about other genres, but just for metal in general, because again, it's such a wide and the biggest growing genre at this point. Um and nothing against Connor. We just could we can't really do this type of topic with him here. But no, we Connor, we love you, but we're just using this opportunity to talk about a genre you're not too familiar with. But no, I want I want <laughs> Yeah. I uh, No, I want to hear from you, Bill. I mean, obviously, there's selective genres that we're more familiar with. I mean, obviously, I just want to hear you kind of talk about the roots of, you know, certain genres, the artists that, you know, kind of started that era, as well as the artists that kind of came from, you know, just so on and so forth. Just kind of break down, like, you know, bands, essentially, that influence specific subgenres of the metal scene. Okay. All right. Well, let's, um, I guess this gives me the prime opportunity to talk about probably uh, comes. arguably one of the greatest bands of all here time in my opinion yep and probably the most important band of all time the mighty van halen debatable but i'll allow it well here's the debate this is where it'll Go come into play the way i see it is van halen was influenced by bands like um black sabbath and led zeppelin uh eric clapton yep. derek and the dominoes like that type, yep. type of thing and they took that music dude and they turned it into something else and love it or hate it, hair metal, hard rock, whatever you want to call it, they basically lit the fuse for this giant, either it be a total shitstorm or arguably some of the greatest music ever, hair metal. And the thing is, hair metal sparked so many bands. I mean, you know, it's another thing like love them or hate them, you have Poison, Motley Crue. Scorpions. Scorpions. You have Warrant. Yeah. Um, bon Jovi. Yeah. But even Bon Jovi, I feel like, is a little, like, not even hair Well, metal. it's the same thing with, like, Quiet Riot coming out in that yeah. scene, too. I mean, it was more so, like, the image, like, the yep. glam metal, because even Kiss was kind of, like, bunched in there as well. Yeah. You know? Well, and the thing is, too, it, um, the 80s and this hair metal thing basically started the whole, like, guitar god yeah. whole thing. Yep. Like, you always had, like, guitar players like Tony Iommi and you know um Jimmy Page but they weren't like guitar heroes or or guitar gods now they're considered them but back then there was no such thing it was like you know no one knew who the guitar player from Leonard Skinner was yeah you know it was like that kind well, of it was thing. even like the Allman brothers i mean yeah. a lot of people didn't even know Dwayne Allman was this phenomenal guitarist insane guitarist yeah and, and you figure Cream, too. I yeah, mean, Cream exactly. wasn't predominantly Eric Clapton, but when he separated, then you got yep. the idea. Exactly. Yeah. My big thing with Van Halen comes into play with, they were basically, I I guess in a way you could say they were like the godfathers of hair metal. Yeah. And, you know, without Van Halen, you wouldn't have these bands like Poison. Uh, you might you might have had a Motley Crue, maybe. But yeah. They wouldn't have been as successful if there wasn't other bands to lump them in with, you know, like Queensryche, uh, Poison, like I said before, um, Warrant, Skid Row, Bon Jovi, uh, Rat, Rat. There's Mm -hmm. another one. But yeah, I don't know. And I feel like with Van Halen 
creating basically this genre of music, it then in turn made it to where there was something for people to rebel against, like the punks would rebel against this hair metal thing. I don't even think so much it was the punks. It was like that, what started eventually the big four, Thrash. Yeah. Like Metallica. But it's funny because you bring up bands like Metallica, Anthrax, Megadeth, Slayer. Um, you know, that, yeah, again, you said there was something to rebel against to create another genre, but exactly. you can't fucking say that they didn't draw influence from the bands. Oh, that my were, God. Because that's the thing. When you talk about the guitar gods thing where it became predominantly seen to have this one fixated guitarist as yep. well as this flamboyant frontman, like, for instance, Sebastian Bach and Skid Row. Exactly. I mean, these guys had Jane voices. Lane they had personalities, Warren. man, yep. and especially, like, really good guitarists and the music itself. And you talk about prior to that, like, for instance, like, Black Sabbath, uh, Led Zeppelin, they had a really bluesy, you know, aspect where their songs were just well constructed to allow to like because even Black Sabbath wanted up evolving. Yeah, the same way Led Zeppelin wanted up evolving. Mm-hmm. You know, to become more Jimmy Page dominant. You know, exactly. you know, Robert Plant's out there, like Ozzy's out there. You got to see Iommi out there. You yep. know, this whole scene. And then, yeah, I mean, setting that tone to like really get the rebellious stage where you know when Metallica came out with the Kill 'Em All album, and that mm-hmm. was like kind of like a fuck you. But then look what that technically spawned from the hair metal scene. Yeah. You know, that I wasn't mean, there. I mean, like, I've, I'm pretty sure I've read interviews to where almost every one of those dudes from the big four has cited Van Halen as an influence. Yeah. You know, I mean, that's a little bit of the idea of them being an extremely important band. Yeah. And I definitely think they're, they're, they're not an underrated band by any means. But I think for what they did to, for music as a whole, I believe that they're extremely underrated for that. And it was cool because when you talk about the hair metal scene being there and you figure bands like Metallica, you know, and Megadeth as well, drawing influence from that. But you have to understand there was like already bands out there to more so relate to that like hard edge without the makeup and stuff like Judas Priest was there. Yeah. Motorhead was there. Iron Maiden, especially with the Paul Deano era. But they weren't they didn't have the aggression that, you know, the big four. Yeah, quote had. I mean, Motorhead always did. Yeah, Motorhead but, yeah, always Motorhead's had that. A different story. Yeah, and even Slayer too. With you know, Slayer's been around a lot longer than people think, as we talked about before. Like Rain and Blood is not their first album. No. You know what I mean? Um, what is it? Hell awaits, right? No, uh, Show No Mercy. Oh, Show No Mercy. Yeah, Hell awaits was the second one. Yep. Uh, but it is cool because there's always these like undertow bands because even Judas Priest, like their earlier stuff mm-hmm. was not like really like it had a cool like heavier tone. But come on, breaking the law is a little corny compared to like the painkiller pain album. <laughs> yeah, dude. You know what I mean? It's, they were honestly, if you put those two like back to back, they're like an entirely different band. Totally like, different. It's like not dude. even Judas Priest. And it's the same artist. That's yeah. what the crazy thing is. That's part of the evolution thing, man. Yeah. Um, And then you talk about with like the thrash genre. I mean, especially after the heavy metal scene died down with like that hair metal and that glam metal uh, concept. And then you talk about like other subgenres like in the 80s. It's it's one of the most difficult genres to get into. But when you people like listen to them, like especially like death metal, black metal, and you meet these people and immediately your first reaction is when you hear the music like violent. These people are weird. Like, uh, you know what I mean? But some of these people are like doctors and veterinarians and just well-educated individuals. And their craft is just a little different than what people are accustomed to. Um, But the music itself is so related. Like we talk about live shows. I've never seen so much camaraderie like, you know, you go sit at a fucking airport and nobody wants to talk to you, but you get into a yep. mosh pit and you're pushing and hitting people and you become like best friends afterwards. Exactly. It's so weird, but it's just such a excellent 
you know, it brings vibe. people together. It's amazing. It really is. It's it's like an unspoken like brotherhood or family. Yeah. You know, because you watch it and you see someone fall and immediately the pit stops to pick that person up. That's just where you get the vibe. Like some of these people, regardless of the music they listen to, are like some of the nicest people you'll ever meet in your entire life. I feel like black metal and death metal, like they definitely get like a bad rep. Yeah, because I think people just see it as like the screaming vocals and immediately they shut off. Exactly. Immediately they shut off. But you'd be hard pressed to find. I mean, I you know, I might get crucified for this one, but you'd be hard pressed to find a better drummer, and you'd be, be- hard pressed to find a better guitar player than the kind of ones that you would find in a death metal band. Even just the structure, because yes. when we talk about death metal, um, and I'll bring up, well, we won't like expand too much because there's just so much. But you talk about you, Godfather of hair metal being Van Halen, Godfather mm-hmm. of death metal being Chuck Schuldner in the band Death. Oh my god! I mean, they almost called it because I mean, Possessed was out as well. Um, you figured you had Venom and Slayer that kind of sparked that scene, but it wasn't until you know Scream Bloody Gore came out, yep, um, and the Death by Metal even EP that was prior to that they were calling it Death's Metal because they didn't know how to really describe the genre. Dude, they, I could only imagine what that shit sounded like back then. People were like, "What the fuck is this?" And and like you listen serious? to it now, <laughs> it's funny because you listen to it now and it's extremely tame. For yeah, for what today's to how... standards are, but back then, dude, like that shit was heavier yeah. than Slayer, which was the craziest shit yeah. around at the like, time. It, like when you hear Possess Seven Churches, they consider that like one of the first death metal albums. And if you yeah. listen to that, and then you put it even in the progression with the '90s with the Tampa scene, like when Morbid Angel came out with Altars of Madness, um, you know, you had Deicide coming out, and it started to get more and more brutal. But just going to death specifically, when we talk about the musicianship quality, mm-hmm. like here was it, 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 literally Chuck was just such a master of his craft. I mean, it was always different musicians because he wanted his albums to sound like it was his baby. That was literally his child when he was making every album. And Death is one of those bands all the way from Scream Bloody Gore to uh, Sound of Perseverance. Every album front to back is just quality well you know um, Sound of Perseverance was supposed to be a Control Denied Control record, Denied right? yeah and there's a lot of shit where they said that because they had to make the album there was mm-hmm. a lot of filler and there was a lot of Control Denied stuff but I'm gonna put it this way that fucking album filler or not insane it's, it, dude it's absolutely crazy yep. because there a lot of them are eight minute tracks like even just Voice of the Soul the instrumental yeah. Dude, that you hear that, and as a standalone instrumental, knowing it's coming from a death metal band, just to hear mm-hmm. that, you get to really understand these guys are just not going out there doing blast beats and playing fast chugging guitar riffs, exactly, and just like as loud as they can. Like, and then you also look up when they actually have lyrical content. Yeah, like Chuck wasn't just fucking talking about dumb shit out there. And the best part about that album might even be, you know, arguably the greatest cover of all time. The painkiller, speaking Bain of killer. that. Yeah. Dude, it's even funny. On Human, they cover God of Thunder by Kiss. Yeah. It's fucking awesome. Dude, honestly, I feel like Painkiller, their version of Painkiller is it's better, better than, than the Judas original. Priest. I yeah. agree. 100%. I agree. I I don't know, man. I, I definitely feel like for people that aren't a part of that like underground thing or yeah. people that aren't familiar with death, they are easily one of the most underrated bands of all time. Yeah, and it's funny because you meet somebody. Important. Yeah, you meet somebody that's like really into death metal, and you yeah. mention death. It's almost like that's like mentioning I love thrash metal, and I listen to Anthrax. I mean, it's they put it out there as like death is one of those generic bands. But the people that aren't familiar with the genre, yeah. I remember the first time I heard that. The first song I heard was uh, Flesh and the Power It Holds, and I was yeah. like, yo. And then I went back and I heard Leprosy, and mm-hmm. you got to hear such a different fucking band. I remember the first time me and you met. 
and you're like, oh, you like metal, you probably listen to like Attack Attack or some horse shit. Yeah, and I like was Texas like, and July. I was like, dude, do you ever hear this band called Death? And you're like, what? <laughs> yeah, it was impressive because that was, like I said, Death Metal, it was so weird because like growing up, I mean, I obviously my father wasn't, you know, putting on Blessed Are the Sick by Morbid Angel. Yeah, I mean, I'm listening to fucking Steely Dan and Phil Collins. So, well, then again, I, I grew up in a type of household to where like Ozzy was king. Yeah. Like Ozzy and Van Halen were like always in the CD player. Yeah. yeah my father was so generic. I just heard whatever came on the radio. <laughs> like, uh, I mean, Phil Collins and Genesis and fucking stick. Oh, sticks, dude. It's oh, like stalk in my head. I'm so glad. I, much I'm so glad I, got, I missed all that. Dude, it's just that's the thing. I didn't grow up in a real big music household. And like what the friends I hung out with, that's what really exposed me to all these different yeah. genres. But then it's funny because I listened to a lot of music theory for like some of my friends that really got into like actual quality musicianship Mm -hmm. and that's when i started getting into like miles davis um john coltrane a lot of classical music like leonard bernstein and then i went back and got to understand it like when you really understand the quality of musicianship for some of these bands black metal death metal thrash metal and you get to hear the construction of these songs and the amount of effort it actually takes to make some like time signatures it's not just super low tune guitars and 300 bpm double bass on triggers like like don't get me wrong you'll find some bands like that yeah they're really fucking yeah but they're the bands that no one likes exactly that's the thing or no no no. that those are the bands that the general public will like yeah exactly yep like you you know if you show someone for instance i don't know Actually, let's bring this into Deathcore. Yeah. You know, you show someone a job for a cowboy song, and they're like, oh, my God, this is great. This is amazing. And it's like, I I guess, I mean, that there's a couple job for a cowboy songs I enjoy. Like, yeah. a lot, like, really, like, really enjoy. But in the grand scheme of things, like, you know, they're like grindcore, deathcore. But what about, like, Pig Destroyer? Like, yeah. Like, they're pretty fucking good. Yeah. And, you know, I'm not discrediting anything with Deathcore because I, I enjoy it. I mean, I know you don't like breakdowns and shit. Yeah, I, I mean, well, it's, I got a huge argument because like when I moved and I went into, you know, the school that we went to after I moved out of Camden County, I was living, you know, my parents and then I went, the school I went to, I mean, everybody was just that, that scene kid, you know, yeah. all part of the Deathcore, Metalcore scene. And I'm coming from my, like their idea, like, give me an instance. Like when you think Grindcore, what comes to your mind? When I think of Grindcore? Yeah. Well, first band that pops up is Job for a Cowboy because it's just so and it it's it was it, like beat into my head. Yeah, and it's funny because there's like a different level of understanding. Like Grindcore, the first thing I think of is Scum by Napalm Death. Yeah, that was like to me, and like Terrorizer, who were all the guys with the exception of like um, Triassic Thought from Morbid Angel, the band Terrorizer. Yeah, Grindcore. You know that's and I I remember a couple people. I'm not going to name names, but we know who we're talking about. Mm-hmm. Specifically, part of the scene drummer. We know. Okay. Me and him were getting arguments because yep. I'm like, yo, scum by napalm death. He was like, that shit's garbage. It was made in the 80s. Exactly. Like, I don't want to listen. Because you put on like scum by napalm death and you're listening. Like there's literally one song there that's probably like three seconds long. Yeah. It's just <laughs> and it ends. You know what I mean? And But for me, I mean, the, like listening to the roots of some of these bands that develop these opinions and these views, and you're talking about deathcore especially. Yeah. And then you get that debate of like the metal elitist and like the people that listen mm-hmm. to the generic metal and don't have the understanding. Exactly. But, but there it goes again where I can say there's certain bands that I actually enjoy, like P- Parkway Drive, for instance. Yeah. Do you like Parkway Drive? Yeah, I I really like Parkway Drive. I like their I said, new album's actually really good if you haven't listened to it. Yeah, I mean, you show me that new As I Lay Dying, and I'm not a fucking fan. The, no, 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 the new Parkway Drive is totally different. Okay, because I, I was all right. Listen, 
I, I was with my aunt. I had to go to uh, a warp tour. This was back in like 2014, I want to say. Yeah. Went to Virginia Beach. And uh, my cousin. Oh, no, the horror. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> but here's the thing. I never mind going to see live music. That's yeah. the difference. So I went there, and I remember, like, Of Mice and Men came out, Motionless and White. I know Yellow Car played, and I, I just was not into it. But Parkway Drive came out, dude. I was fucking feeling it, man. Dude, and that's. I, I was fucking band. feeling it. And, like, here comes me talking, like, you know, I, I'm really into Alters of Madness. I'm really into, you know... Speaking of metal elitist. Yeah, I'm really into, like, <laughs> Deicide and, you know, really just traditional death metal, like Benediction, Seance, all these older bands. And, like, uh, here I am listening to Parkway Drive, who's considerably part of that suicide silence, job for a cowboy-type scene. But I fucking liked it, man. I, I don't know. I feel like Parkway Drive is like an entirely different... They're not in that whole spectrum. They're, they're almost like borderline... I don't know. I, I wouldn't... Listen, I, I wouldn't I go sh- as far as say they're like part of the hardcore genre. They definitely dabbled in it. But when I you say hardcore, like, you're talking about like Hatebreed? No, no, no. When I say hardcore, you know what I mean. Like the whole like... Uh, like a day to remember, like... Uh, yeah. Sort of, you know, for a certain point in time there, like that line was blurred. Yeah, it was like really blurred. When I mean hardcore, I mean like August burns red, or like Texas of July, Texas or July. um, what's another one? Um, I don't know. But regardless, you know what I mean. Yeah. Like I feel like Parkway Drive is is sort of in that, but like on like the heavier end of the spectrum. But does that come from the scene of people that follow them? Do you think? Because well, that music standalone for me to be able to enjoy it. Yeah, I w- and I'm not saying like if it's hardcore, I won't like it. Because also too, that's another thing. My idea of hardcore is like hate breed. No, but even so, like like punk rock, like back in the day, like hardcore punk. You know, oh, I mean? yeah. like some of those hardcore pans were considered in the eighties. Sod. Like, yeah, I mean, Sod was more thrash. You know, like Stormtroopers to Death. Yeah, yeah, that was more like thrash. I'm talking about like GBH. You know, oh, part of the hardcore yeah. scene. But um, but Parkway Drive, and I don't want to get too stuck on them. But for them to be a band, like I, cu- I couldn't put them in that Texas in July, no. August burns red. That's scene. what I mean. You can't. yeah, like I feel like it would be extremely unfair to them to do that. Yeah, because it doesn't, it doesn't seem like they follow that formula. Yeah, you know, like the first chorus breakdown, slower breakdown. Yeah, even slower breakdown. <laughs> but do you know that, like the saying, you you are who your friends are. Yeah, you can kind of get an idea about a genre of a band if it's hard to put it based on who they tour with. Like for instance, you wouldn't yeah. see Parkway Drive touring with Cannibal Corpse. No, you wouldn't. You know what I mean? But you'll see Dying Fetus tour with Cannibal Corpse. Yes. Like for instance, the show that was a few weeks ago, or last week, I should say, um, you know, Slayer toured with Cannibal Corpse, Amanda yep. Marth, and Behemoth. Like you, or, you know, not Behemoth, fucking Lamb of God. Yep. There's another band Lamb with of Lamb of God because Lamb of God is the same way because you figure their earlier stuff. As the palaces burn, you know, like my favorite album, Ash is the Wake. But then when they That's went good. further into like Sacrament, you can see the scene adjust. Like, for instance, when Slayer's out there playing, it's like a push pit, like your traditional metal push yeah. pit. Lamb of God comes on as the dude's doing karate kicks and, you know, throwing her arms. And it's like that real karate breakdown fucking slam yeah, dance and shit. I don't know. I, I think that's, I think this all just goes into like how the public will perceive this. Like when I hear a Lamb of God breakdown, I don't put that in like the same as like a, a day to remember day breakdown to, yeah. or like a, you know, uh, I don't know, Texas in July breakdown or August Burns Red breakdown. Lamb of God's pretty fucking nasty. That's what I'm saying. Like their like, sound itself 
Like you can put them on that bill. Like I saw them a couple times. They're with very anthrax. versatile band. They are, but I'm saying based on like the people that follow them, it's mm-hmm. just funny because you see the same people that would listen to like you know a day to remember and those bands like out there in a pit. I feel like Lamb of, Lamb of God now is like that stepping stone band. Yeah. Like if you like Lamb of God, then you're going to like. So Lamb of God is almost like to bridge the gap. Because yes, for exactly. instance, Ashes of the Weight could bring you into all the traditional death metal, yeah. whereas like Sacrament and Wrath exactly. and Beyond can bring you into like well, the even, A Day to Remember even types. Thrash. Like they, they were they, a very thrashy They very band are. The and very his beginning. vocal style is not so guttural where you can actually hear what he's saying yeah. to the point where it is catchy enough where his yep. vocal complex is perfect. Dude, I sound. love Lamb of God. Their musicianship is undeniable. Dude, they're they're, they're two of the best best guitar players. Chris yeah. Adler's an insane He's drummer. amazing on drums, well, Let's put it this so way. So precise. He's so good that Dave Mustaine had him. Yeah. And we all know Dave Mustaine's known to be like an asshole with members. Yeah, he's like the same way like Chuck was, you know, very exactly. particular in who he uses. Like, dude... Uh, I think Gene Hoagland might be one of the greatest death metal drummers, and Chuck got was, rid of him. Yeah, I know. Like that, you know, that says something. Yeah. But I don't. I don't know. I definitely feel like Lamb of God might be that. You know, that bridge. Yeah. Like if you like these guys, you're going to like even more and yeah. farther beyond. It is funny too because when we talk about people that listen to bands, and you can mm-hmm. kind of get like a character image on somebody based on the way they dress, and you could ask them like, "Hey, do you like this band?" Like I'm, I'm not to say I'm judgmental, but yeah, I'm fucking judgmental. If I see yeah. you wearing certain T-shirts or your hair's part a certain way, I can get an idea on what type of music you listen to if exactly. you're flamboyant enough. Because some people hide it where you couldn't even ask. Like, exactly. But I'll talk to certain people, and it's funny because I'll ask first, like, do you listen to Suicide Silence? Do you listen to Parkway Drive and kind of get that feel to I dive in? I remember that uh, rap sheet questionnaire. Yeah, of course. I have to do this because <laughs> like, music is just such an absolute hobby of mine. But it's funny because Lamb of God, I could never ask that question because that can go two fucking ways. Yeah. That can go to like, yeah, I love Lamb of God. You know yep. who I also love? I like Morbid Angel. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's the whole crossbreed. It's like, dude, you're going to go one way or the other because it's going to be also based on the time you liked Lamb of God. Yeah, exactly. Like, for instance, Ashes of the Wake. I know people that hate that album but love Sacrament. And I'm like, that makes no sense. Yeah, but I feel like they sort of went... Not only did they evolve with their music, but they also sort of went back to their roots with, like, Wrath. Yeah. Like, I thought that was insane. I thought Wrath was extremely good. Yeah, I- it's tough for me. Yeah? Yeah, it's tough. But I did like the fact that recently when they put out the Burn the Priest cover album, when they actually went yeah. back to their old name and they did a lot of cool covers, you know, they did the Melvins, mm-hmm. um, you know, they obviously covered an SOD song on there. But Jesus it, built my hot rod. <laughs> but going back to, like, just saying with the heavy metal genre in general, I, I just, it's, it's one of those genres because, like, rap's even the same way and it's a shame, like, where rap went recently, you know, in the recent times. Um, it's the same thing with, like, blues, um, punk rock even today like the pop punk scene the yeah. emo scene like heavy metal if you see about it like mentioning going back to that Megadeth album I mean it's just constantly happening I mean when yeah. I mentioned you like Monstrosity here's a death metal band from the 90s with Corpse Grinder from they released yep. a new album Deicide released a new album Megadeth's recording new music Metallica's still touring Slayer is apparently on their quote unquote final tour still I'll believe that when I don't when they're actually it. done yeah I Judas mean, they, Priest they were is still great. touring they were great when we saw them yeah they were they were good. They're fucking yeah. They're excellent. I just don't. That's another thing too with this like farewell tour. Do you know how many times I saw Motley Crue on, on their farewell, farewell tour? tour? Yeah, I saw them three times. I, and here's the thing. I don't knock it because I'm still gonna go see them. Exactly. And I'd rather you be out there touring than like what I said with Megadeth prior to me knowing they're putting out the new album and just releasing compilations to make Building money. New weapons. Like go earn your money. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the arsenal. <laughs> Hello, me, meet the real me. I'm going to start using that one. Yeah, that's These are my most effective weapons in my arsenal. 
here you go. Here's a six pack of beer. These are the most effective weapons <laughs> in my arsenal. Um, but yeah, it's just, it's such an amazing genre. I mean, and people like, for instance, my father won't ever get into it. My sister doesn't listen to it. You know, there's a lot of people that don't, but if you're familiar with some of the earlier bands, when we talk about like the ones that kind of stemmed into it, like Venom with the new wave of British heading oh, metal, yeah. Diamond Head even, yep. I mean, a lot of these bands that sparked the influence and then you can kind of progress. It's almost like a tapering process. You know, you start with the earlier, easier listenings like Iron Maiden as well, Metallica, Megadeth, um, Slayer is a little tougher, Motorhead, but then you can kind of dive into it and you realize like dude it's like the narnia of genres it's yeah. like an open fucking sandbox world of music well i'm gonna throw this one out there for those of you listeners that enjoy metal music and you haven't seen it i would suggest watching metal a headbanger's journey yeah like that'll open up your eyes oh yeah or even metal evolution remember that was on vh1 for a while yeah the the tv series of that yep You'll learn so much from watching that movie. You'll learn about the subgenres. You'll learn about where all this stuff came from. Yep. And why it's important. And who is important. Yep. And, you know, based off of that, you can make your own assumptions. Yeah, exactly. And that's the thing. It's kind of you have to have the ear to even listen, like I said, the earlier bands. But yeah. then if you can kind of like expand more and, you know, it's like an acquired taste. Because don't get me wrong, there are certain songs that I heard for the first time. I thought it was garbage. And now they're like, I love them. Yeah. You know, that's how it is with metal. It's very. It's a very like it's an easy genre, but it's like a very tough genre. I also have to like make that like, breakthrough. I also feel like with the way that like production and stuff is improving, like quality wise, yeah. I feel like that's also bridging the gap. Yeah, for having people listen to this type of music. Like if you listen to um like Eaten Back to Life versus but, like Kill. Yeah, like as like a like I'm gonna put myself in like someone that's never heard this type of music before. I'd be more inclined to listen to Kill because it sounds cleaner. Yeah, but then you can kind of like they said, like with the I, like starting and the tapering, you could go backwards. Yeah, exactly. Start that's to what get I mean. more. Yeah, that's perfect. You know, like if you like this, then you're gonna go down the rabbit hole. Yeah. If you like the Black album, you're probably gonna like Injustice for All. If you like Injustice for All, you're gonna love Master of Puppets. <laughs> I would start at Injustice for All. <laughs> I could even start at Master. We're not starting at the Black album. We're not even going back to this, dude. Let me bring that up. Podcast number seven. PTSD. Bringing uh, Metallica back. Fucking oh, podcast bullshit. number six. I'm sorry. so sick of it, dude. We look like fucking fanboys for Metallica. I mean, I got I got a Metallica tattoo. I yeah, mean, it's that's crazy. I mean, it is what it I is. I have a Misfits tattoo. I barely mention them. This is getting out of hand. You've mentioned the Misfits a couple times. Briefly. <laughs> Very subtly. Well, you know, it's it would be a different story if Metallica... I wish we could have this on video so people could see this quote-unquote Metallica tattoo you have. We're not getting into this. Well, it looks like it was done in the county jail. It sort of was done in the Jesus county jail. Jesus Christ. <laughs> so a $15 special from your drummer's brother. Unbelievable. <laughs> you get what you pay for. Uh, yeah, I'll definitely do it. All right, guys. So uh, the last I would say last week, but the last podcast that you guys heard, we suggested for you to watch the biopic major cinema movie straight out of compton yeah in my opinion i think straight out of compton might be one of the best music movies like ever it is really good like also even- real quick edit i did want to mention this because on the uh last episode i mentioned the oh, thing yeah, about nipsey hustle i'm really upset about that bill didn't fucking edit it i feel like an asshole i apologize to I'm all sorry, our listeners buddy. out there yeah but i just wanted to make a quick uh update on that nipsey hustle did not play snoop dog lakeith stanfield did 
the quotation was that Snoop actually wanted Nipsey Hussle. Yes. Yeah, and you refused to edit that, and I'm kind of upset. I, it's not that I refused. That it was a minor. It was a minor overstep. It's okay. I'll remember. I apologize. This. My apologies, listeners. Not a I'm problem. Sorry. It's good. Um, I feel like straight out of Compton, dude. Even if it wasn't NWA, if it was a fictional band, or if NWA was fictional, yeah. It would still be a good movie. No, it's and again, I don't want to go too in depth on this because I want Connor to be here because I do want this to be another thing to process with the uh, idea of early's hip hop, like early nineties or you know 80s. late eighties, yeah, um, even into the two thousands. Because this movie, as a standalone, like you said, as a just a motion picture, just a movie, it gives you a good insight, especially with like what happened behind the scenes with like yeah, the production companies. You exactly. got to see Suge Knight. You got to see like Snoop coming onto the scene. You get to see the involvement of like where Ice Cube wound up. What happened through Eazy E? Yep. I mean, you get to see a lot of shit happen, and it kind of gives you that feel of like what became rap going forward. And actually, the only person I believe that gave the movie any kind of shit was Jerry Heller because it made him it portrayed oh, him yeah, to be very did. bad. <laughs> it did. But I mean, in the grand scheme of things. It, it, well, you have to think about it in the way a motion picture is. Usually in every movie, there's got to be a villain. You have to. And it just so happens that it's him. Yeah. I mean, do I think that he was, you know, it's, out to get everybody yeah. from the beginning? Probably not. But yeah, you're going to have to dramatize for the sake exactly. of the movie. Yeah. I mean, it's, you know, it's sad to say that it had to be him, but the way that the history was within the group, it was him. Yeah. You know, whether it be as dramatized as it was in the movie. It, it it unfortunately had to be Jerry Heller, who is now sadly passed away. Rest in peace. Damn shame. But like I said, I don't want to go too in depth with this because I do want to revisit this when we get Connor back on here. Yeah, absolutely. His, uh, nap or whatever he's doing. So uh, what? Yeah. So on you our, liked uh, it. Yeah, on our huh? So you you definitely liked that movie? Yeah, I actually I did love this movie. I actually saw it. I mean, I didn't see it the proper way. But I did see it immediately after it came out because I was very... Saw it through a video camera? Somebody maybe? else's video camera. A viewfinder? You watched yeah, it through I watched a viewfinder? it through a kaleidoscope. I just had one of those like images uh, okay. where you shuffle and it just happened to be a play-by-play. Uh, oh, play yeah, yeah, yeah. And there was a... Yeah, it was, yeah but it, I got strange. over it. Um, but yeah, we'll revisit this more so uh, when Connor's back on here because this is definitely, again, as a something I do want to evolve on and talking about with the rap scene as well. Um, but yeah, let's just be between me and you. We'll rate this thing uh, on our scale of one to ten here, Bill. I'm gonna have to go about this in a very unbiased way. I feel like as a movie about a band or about a group, you know, it doesn't necessarily have to be whoever. This movie could have been about anybody, and it still yeah. would have been amazing. I, me personally, I'll give this movie an eight and a half really? out of ten. This is. Good. Yeah, I feel like it was shot really well. I felt like all the parts went together very well. The ending, you know, it's sad, but it just shows like there was this larger than life yeah. thing. You, you know, it's really funny. You say eight and a half. This is going to be the first time yeah. in history on this show that I'm going to rate something higher than everybody else and not get shit for it because I'm giving it a nine. Really? I'm giving it a You're solid nine because we go back when I mentioned <laughs> like I like those movies done with actors to portray things because I get to get separated from yeah. the realistic thing but kind of per- get my own feel and create my own idea of like this band and what they did. And you get to see yeah. real life shit that you only heard about as opposed to like what was actually filmed and what they're able to show. So yeah, I'm exactly. giving it a solid nine. Cause again, as a standalone movie by itself, could have been about anybody well fucking done. 
And then again, the bias concept. I love NWA. I love the Easy Solo shit, Ice Cube, Snoop, as well as even Dre and what he did later on with M and Fifty going forward. Yeah, yeah I mean, I'm giving it. I feel like they should have. They should have showed like the beginning. I don't think they could go that far. Yeah, because then that's a whole nother thing, dude. You know what I mean? But you knowing the history, I mean, you know how far that went. So you got, and that's something obviously going forward where they could have expanded more. But here's something: Have you ever seen the HBO docu series, The Defiant Ones? Dude, you have to watch it. It's um basically um Doctor Dre and Jimmy Iovine, and it shows them, you know, at you know, whatever ages until they finally meet up and create oh, wow. aftermath. Dude, it is amazing. They talk about everything. They talk about from Jimmy Iovine being the producer on Bruce Springsteen's Born to Run. They talk about it from basically uh, how Bruce Springsteen wrote um, Because the Night Belongs to Love yeah. is the Patti Smith song. That's oh, wow. Bruce Springsteen. They go all the way until Jimmy Iovine created Interscope and he got nine inch nails out of their record contract. Dude, I'm telling you. What's called Defiant Ones? The Defiant, Defiant Ones. Dude, it is amazing. It's it's three episodes. Oh, it's just a mini docuseries. Okay, that's all right. Yes. The first episode's about Jimmy Iovine. The second episode's about Dre. The collaboration. The third episode is when they finally Perfect. come together. And that's where you see like, you know, like behind the is scenes. Is it on HBO right now? That you've never seen. It, it might be on HBO. Okay, because no, I have HBO Go, so I've been watching Barry. and Watch it, dude. I'm telling you, you will not be All disappointed. Right. All right. Well, um, back to Straight Outta Compton here. Um, you nine, gave it a yep. 9 out of 10. I gave it an 8.5. We're right on, we're right on yep. par. Uh, Rotten Tomatoes gave the score an average 88%. Uh, the audience score for Rotten Tomatoes was 91%. Yeah. Rolling Stone gave it a three and a half out of four stars, and Metacritic gave it a seventy-two percent. I, I I'm Metacritic's really harsh. I usually well, and I, again, you, anybody could debate this on me on how they get their reviews. I mean, I'll go in to watch movies blind all the time, but if it's something that I'm really hyped about, I'll check Rotten Tomatoes, and what I base it on is kind of like averaging the between score. the critic score and the reviewer score, because you figure Rotten Tomatoes critic score is eighty-eight, and the viewer score is ninety-one. But you also basically yeah, you just exactly. got some fans that just like don't know shit and they just like NWA and then they watch it and they like it. Exactly. But the fact that they're so yep. close like that, then I'm like, all right, it's got to be there's something going on there. But exactly. Metacritic's always super harsh with it. So, I mean, to get a 72, well, it's, it's the same thing when I say I give a movie 7 out of 10 and Connor and you both have to immediately like, what do you mean? And I'm like, dude, seven's good, <laughs> man. Don't if you, anything yeah. over a five to me, like it's worth a view. Whether you watch it more than once, that's going to be debatable, but it's at least a worth of you. Yeah. All right. Uh, we're going to roll into our personal suggestions for this week. What do you got for so us, So I Steve? mentioned this uh, several weeks back, uh, speaking of metal genres, Dark Throne, a uh, black metal band that obviously has a couple different sounds to them. I mentioned, obviously, the song that they released a little while back, The Hardship of the Scots. It's very doom, sludgy, not typical dark throne but i'm going to bring up the album because it does come out may 31st so a few days for that album release be on the lookout for that obviously i'm going to bring that up the following week once i've heard the whole album because that's consistently what i do with apple music i just yeah. get the album immediately and listen to the whole thing absolutely whole i just kind of zone out and just kind of dissect it but yeah the album is actually called old star comes out may 31st by dark throne awesome my suggestion this week is called The Renaissance. It's by the band E-Town Concrete. The album came out in 2003. Um, E-Town Concrete is rap metal, 
but it's not what you're thinking. It's not like Limp Biscuit. It's not Rage Against the Machine. Okay. This band is what Limp Biscuit wished they were. It's basically imagine the physical embodiment of aggression. Okay. That's what this is. Like what, a ma- like what a ma- is it again? It's they're called E Town. What was the song? The Mandibles. A band- okay, I'll check that out. Yeah, it's um, it's a good listen. I'll check. it I out. I mean, it, it's 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 interesting. That's the one song you'll recommend for me to get started with. Yes. Okay. If 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 you like Mandibles, you like the rest of the. Then go music. back. Okay. All right. So, uh, this week our group suggestion, me and Steve. We are suggesting to watch the movie, the documentary Hired Gun on Netflix. Um, now, first off, the first thing you'll think about is like, oh, this is a movie, probably an action film about killing people or assassins or something. Negative. It is not that. Hired Gun is basically a industry term for studio musicians that get paid to play on albums that you may or may not have heard, loved, think it's somebody else playing but it's really someone else they paid for $100 for an hour yep. or a couple minutes to listen. Brief example, we'll just talk about when Jason Newstead joined again. We'll talk about the band Metallica after <laughs> Cliff Burton died. Just It is actually discussed in the film briefly. Yep. Um, you know, him just coming up on stage during the Master Puppet Store. $500 a week, I think he was getting paid. Exactly. So, yeah, I mean, just brief example to set the tone for the movie. Um, it is about these, like, very underrated quality musicians that just get brought up in the spotlight for a brief glimpse of fame yeah. just to help support these well-known acts. And some of them make it, some of them some don't. Some of them don't. Some of them get get a couple days some of them wind up staying for 30 years exactly and uh you may or may not grow a strong distaste for a certain musical icon well we will discuss on our next episode this will be discussed Uh, absolutely all right guys well thank you for tuning in this week hopefully you guys enjoyed this one uh getting inside the minds of me and steve here and our uh our metal music taste if you will yeah um Next week, we have a guest coming in. Um, that's pretty much all we got for you guys. Yeah, he's our hired gun for podcast. Exactly. Perfect. All right, guys. Well, that's it for this week. Thank you for tuning in. Um, as of right now, we are now val- available on the Google Play Music app for all you Android users. You can now rejoice. You can now listen to our podcast next to your iOS friend. You know, step up into the 21st century. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, definitely. That's it. Um, I'm Bill. I'm Steve. We're signing off. Rage Against the Mainstream. Thanks for listening, guys.